Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome back, my Earl Grey aficionados. And to all my new listeners, you're in for a show with the finale of Soft Blows the Breeze from Hell. Because I'm back in full swing, full force, and giving it everything I got. We left off in our last episode of this series with Hal Curtin chasing after his partner into the Blackwood Forest, going off a hunch as to where his partner is, and doubling down on where she could have been stolen away by an insane man and someone else. The mystery will unravel in this episode with action, suspense, and above all else, a memorable tale. This story was written in 1937 under the Dime Mystery Magazine, and I'm bringing it straight into 2020 with sound effects, music, and more. So, without keeping you lovelies waiting, turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's listen to something special. As special as you. Enjoy. The House of Horrors Somewhere in that nightmare flight, there was the thrumming of a far-off auto. Somewhere in that Gethsemane, there were twin beams of distant headlights, scything the darkness. And then there was the loom of black woods ahead of him, and he was in their earth-odorous darkness, and he was slowing to a halt. Careful now. He must be careful. If the madman heard him, got warning of his approach... Hilda would be... <sighs> Hal was weaponless. He had only his arms, and his fists to use against the Lord alone knew what insane strength. The advantage of surprise must be his. Surprise? But how? There was impenetrable darkness here. There was only the shrill piping of cicadas and the scutterings of the woods' night kind. There was a glimmer of light far within the tree-deepened blackness. Cautiously, with an instinctive woodsmanship called out of the racial memory by his great need, with a taut check on his urge to run, shouting to the source of that light, Hal Curtin crept up on it. He reached it at long last. At last was crouched at the edge of a tiny clearing, was gazing with aching eyes at a tumble-down cabin of crumbling logs. Some shelter left by ancient lumbermen, through whose gaping chinks came the gleam that had brought him here. Only an instant Curtin crouched there, then he stole across the narrow space between and flattened himself against the mossy, slimy wall. He peered through a crack into the shack's interior. He could see only a small portion of it, but that was enough. A candle guttered within the hovel by its wavering. Weird luminance, he saw, Hilda. Two roughly hewn beams had sometime fallen from the decrepit cabin's roof. They slanted now, from roof to earthen floor. The girl lay on one of these, lashed to it hand and foot. Half covered by the rags to which her neat, crisp frock, her dainty undergarments had been reduced. She was as yet unharmed, physically at least. 
All concealment had been torn from one rounded breast. Her arms, her olive rounded thighs, strained at the lashing that cut into their soft warm flesh. In her fear-widened eyes there was ineffable terror, grotesque and horrible, as the creature had appeared when capering on a blazing roof, when laughing from the stage of a smashed theatre, he was now utterly appalling. Clad only in ragged trousers, his body was the scarred wreck of a frame, once clean-cut and stalwart. It was malformed, with a rottenness not so much of its tissues as of the soul within it, and shaggy with hair black and kinked and matted as a wild beast's fur. He straddled columnar legs, his big thewed arms bulged with swollen muscles. His unshaven, black-bristled countenance was high-browed, its features finely chiseled, but it was empty of all intelligence, of all emotion save the vapid, long-toothed grin of a mindless idiot, while its skin twitched with tiny spasms as though beneath it vermin scuttered and pinched it with their microscopic jaws. He towered above the bound, half-naked girl, his lips drooling, his soulless eyes repeating the imbecile grin. It was as if he were calling upon her to witness the cleverness of that which he was about. With a furious deafness, one of his great paws juggled three of the puffballs that had accumulated so much of terrible meaning for Hal Curtin, catching and tossing the fragile globules so that they did not burst, but danced like down in the wavering light, in and out, and about the flickering balls, he flashed the braided metal lash of a small whip in gleaming intricate maneuvers. The madman missed one of the puffballs. It dropped on Hilda, touched her just where the ragged edge of her torn slip lay against her abdomen's throbbing skin. Her captor snatched it, his spatulate fingers, clumsy now, caught in the pink fabric. There was a ripping sound. The ball struck the floor, burst. Not spore dust, but a black cloud spurted from it, billowed upward to meet the other two that still were floating down. The madman's frenzied fingers were ripping the last vestige of clothing from Hilda. She screamed. Her scream came to Curtin out of blackness that enveloped her that was filling the cabin, the blackness that had been spewed from the burst puffball from the two others. He thrust himself away from the wall, whirled to hurl himself along it to search for a door. There must be a door somewhere by which he could get inside, get to Hilda, fight for her. There was no longer any light. The candle must have gone out. No, not out. Its light quenched by the black fog of the puffballs, by the material blackness that was pouring out through the chinks between the logs, clouds darker than the forest darkness, darker than evil. There was no light, so Curtin had to guide himself by hand against the log wall. While from behind the wall came the screams. <laughs> of the girl he loved, and the bestial snufflings of the man-beast who... <sighs> he came to a corner, whirled around it, saw a billow of the Stygian vapor pouring out of the door he sought, 
He vented something between a groan and a shout, and plunged through it. Into sightlessness that was alive with sound, Hilda's shrieks fainter now. The sound of rending cloth, snuffling and horrible snarls. Stop it! The yell tore Hal's throat. God blast you! He yelled, Stop it! Hurtling towards those sounds, blinded by the eye-blinding black, Stop! A heavy blow smashed the back of his head, smashed into his skull. He spun down and down into oblivion. Hal Curtin's head ballooned with pain that expanded within it, as though to burst it. Because of the pain, he could not move, though he tried to lift his hand to his head to still that throbbing torture. It wasn't because of the pain that he could not lift his hand. As returning consciousness became surer, he was aware of the tightness about his wrists. He was bound, wrists and ankles to a heavy beam. He opened his eyes. A wall slanted toward him at a mad angle. An earthen floor slanted up toward him. The guttering light through which he saw them held a curious quality of darkness, as though it were strained through a black mist. This was unreal, dreamlike. Someone moaned beside him. Curtin's head rolled to the sound. It was Hilda who moaned. Hilda, naked, a grey pallor underlying her skin that was crisscrossed with red and angry wells. Her eyes were closed. She was lashed to a beam that slanted downward from above. Curtin realized that he too was lashed to a beam similarly slanted. That it was he, and not the wall, the floor, that lay at this unaccustomed angle. Hilda! He managed only a whisper. She did not move. There were ropes around her ankles, her wrists, but there was also a rope about her neck. This did not go around the beam on which she lay. It went straight it went over a hook in the broken ceiling and came down again. Its other end was fastened to the beam to which Hal Curtin himself was bound, and it was just short of tautness. Beneath Hilda's ear, the looped rope was tied with a hangman's slipknot. Hilda! She did not hear him. Could she hear him? Was she... She fainted, someone said, the voice oddly familiar. But she will come out of it in a moment. Curtin jumped, hearing it. The timber supporting him rocked. Its upper end started to slip from the crossbeam holding it. I was slipping off that crossbeam a quarter inch more and it would come down. Jerking tight the rope fastened to it, jerking tight the noose around Hilda's neck, strangling her. It didn't, not this time. Something steadied it, stopping that fearful rocking. A hand... Curtin saw as his head rolled, a great calloused paw with black kinky hair on the back of its fingers. He saw the owner of that hand. The madman. That fatuous, leering grin was still on the creature's face. In his other hand was still the metal lash with which he had toyed with the puffballs that had spewed the blackness. The same voice spoke again from behind Curtin, where he could not see the speaker. The next time Jock will let the timber come down, it said. And you know what that will do. It may interest you to know 
also that the cords with which you are tied may be broken with not too great effort. You can free yourself, but not quickly enough to stop the beam from falling. There it was. Hal Curtin was imprisoned not by lashings that he might break, but by the knowledge that his escape meant Hilda's death. You fiend! He grunted. Who are you? He had heard that voice before many times. Was it because of his physical and mental agony that he could not identify it? It was... No. It could not be read and gasped. Who's then? Come around here where I can see you. The madman Jock was drawing his whip between his fingers lovingly. What did he mean to do with it? What in the name of Satan was he going to do with that braided metal thong? So that you can see me? The voice mused. Well, it hardly matters now whether you see me or not. You will tell no one who I am, and your reaction will amuse us, perhaps, while we wait for your sweetheart to awaken. There was a shuffle of feet on the hard-packed earthen floor. There was a flicker of Jock's eyes to the sound, the look of a fawning dog coming into them, and then a man moved into the range of Hal Curtin's vision. He was tall and gnarled. His hair was a lustrous white mane, crowning a face seamed by deep lines, sunken-cheeked, with eyes that now gleamed wildly. Wayne! burst from Hal Curtin's lips. Wayne gave a humorless smile. Clever of you to recognize me, as clever as you're guessing how that fire was started, and how the theater balcony was brought down, and that this was Jock's lair. You are a very clever man, Hal Curtin. I wonder if you have reasoned out the connection of the puffballs with all that has happened. Curtin's brow knitted. Perhaps by humoring his captor, he would gain enough time to work out some escape for Hilda from this imprisonment, from the threat of the lash jock fondled. They're not quite natural, the blackness. Some variation in them has increased their spore puff to a vast cloud of blackness. Perhaps the puffballs were treated chemically, carefully grown, crossed with unknown varieties. This cloud cloaked Jock when he was sitting in the fire, when he was mining the theater balcony. Not Jock, Wayne grinned. Not Jock. He was to be the scapegoat, the whipping boy, taking the blame if some human agency were uncovered in connection with the disaster. The spore cloud cloaked me, Hal Curtin. It was I who... You! The bound man gasped. The unbelievable truth against which his mind had rebelled was now stuck and inescapable. You are the one! Yes. Wayne's features were no longer kindly. They were dark and contorted with evil triumph and evil leer from beneath his shaggy brow. I set the fire. I mind the balcony. <laughs> He laughed, and there was the same fierce pain in his laugh as in Jock's. You 
Curtin groaned. But why? Why? Tiny light worms crawled in wain-slitted eyes. You can ask that. When? But I forget. You were not born when Stelton damned my brother to horror. Your brother? The old man's tortured look went to Jock, who was leaning forward now, his avid tongue licking his lips, his burning look fastened on Hilda's nude beauty. They were too penurious to pave the streets. Wayne grated. Jock, a fine young lad, slipped in the mud as he played, sprawled into the gutter. The hoof of a passing horse just flicked his skull and made him what you see. It was murder, the assassination of a soul, but they called it an accident, and I believed them. Dreamer that I was, I dedicated my life to making certain no such accident should occur again, to make Stelton a safe place for its children, for their lives, and a beautiful place for their play. Stelton thanked me with its lips, but always behind their eyes, behind the eyes of Ghost and Yarrow, and the others who knew I could see the taunting mockery the reminder of my brother, an animal, imprisoned within the asylum's grey walls. He was the only human I ever loved. I was lonely, and they had made me so. I grieved, and it was because of what they had done that I grieved. But I forgave them, because I thought they knew not what they had done. I forgave them till once more, because of greed, they were determined to enrich themselves at the price of the soul that which I loved of this town I had created my all. If I allowed that road to be put through it, it would have taken the town from me. I knew then what I had to do. They should not kill Stelton, I would, and swiftly. Station's soul was its children, its children should die. Stelton had taken the soul of my brother, I would take the limbs and lives of its children. Jock grunted, his shaggy muzzled arm thrust out, jabbing a thumb at Hilda. She stirred, and her eyes opened. Uh, Hal! She exclaimed, joy flaring into her tear-streaked countenance. Hal, you've come for... And then all the joy was gone. Terror, anguish were replacing it. But you're tied up too? He's got you? I've got him. Wayne broke in. As I planned, I've got him to punish him for interfering with me in the way that will hurt him most. And Jock will take the blame for that, as he would have done for all else if he had been caught. Jock, go ahead. The madman whimpered like a grateful dog sprang forward. The whip in his hand lifted. The metal lash whistled up, whistled down. Struck Hilda's flesh, a fiery circle sprang out upon it, 
a bleeding cincture, belting her palpitating breast. She screamed. Hal screamed too, screamed mad blasphemy as that biting whip flashed up, flashed down again on the naked flesh of the girl he loved, screamed wild oaths at the madman, at the white-haired man who stood impassive, eyes glittering and lips tight and white. Hal yelled his protests, but he did not dare to move, did not dare to stir so much as a finger lest he rock the beam upon which he lay and bring it thundering down to strangle the life out of her. Whirr, smack, whirr, smack. The madman was laughing now, was laughing and capering as he had laughed and capered before. He was dancing about his victim, her flesh nettled with wells now, with spurting wounds, her round soft body clothed with scarlet from her wounds. He laughed. <laughs> and Hilda moaned. Kill me! How? I want to die! There it was. That was the way he could save her from this agony. Death! The only gift for her lover to give her. His muscles knotted, ready for the leap. And still he waited while that whistling lash cut and cut again. Winding itself about an olive, quivering fine, slashing across a taut abdomen, while a beast man capered. Then Hal Curtin leaped, tearing loose from the cords that lashed him. The beam leaped with him and crashed down. On the head, the shoulders of the madman, crushing Jock's skull and pulping his addled brain. It was held for a moment, as Hal had planned it, but the great shaggy form that had danced beneath its slant held there long enough for Hal to tear free the noose from his sweetheart's neck, and then it crashed, with the bulk of the creature it had slain, to the ground. But Curtin had whirled, had thrown himself ravening and mad himself in that moment at the white-haired Wayne. Curtin's fists, sledgehammers of vengeance, catapulted smash, smash into the hollow cheek countenance of the madman's brother. Smash, monster! There was the crack of snap bone, those furious blows had broken John Wayne's jaw, had broken John Wayne's spine. Long after Hilda Curtin would wake from a dream of never-to-be-forgotten terror, and Hal would wake with her, she would turn to him, and he would take her in his arms and hold her close to him, knowing as lovers always know why she was trembling so. And after a while the trembling would cease, and Hilda would whisper, Hold me, Hal. Hold me close. Close. So I know you're here. So I know that always, always, you will protect me against. Satan and all. His imps. Hal would whisper, Forever, my dear. 
and he would hold her close. Listeners, I hope I knocked your socks off with this episode and breathed some life into this old tale's bones. One thing I notice about these classic stories is the unique writing style. Sometimes sentences end strangely or have odd commonplacements that totally throw off the narrative pacing. However, in saying that, these classics also have such amazing characters, are exceptionally well written and enjoy taking the time to explore motivations, build relationships, and craft a real world. I've read hundreds of stories on this podcast, and without a doubt, old, classic tales have to be right up there with tales that I can read over and over again, which is no mean feat. And don't get me started, folks, on The Monkey's Paw. Such a classic. I think I've done it on this podcast twice. I love that story. And these tales really have a way of worming their way into your mind and staying there. Mates, I hope you enjoyed today's tale, and it was a riot to narrate. If you're enjoying the podcast and feel you want to support in some way, you can be my Patreon and directly improve the show due to your support. Every dollar we do flies back into subscription, music, audio, and stories. None of it hits my pockets for expenditure. It all goes into production. I do this for the love of it and will continue to as well. Your support helps me push this podcast to the best it can be. So if you get a chance, check the Patreon page when you can at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. Now, I want to take the time to acknowledge those people that do step up and send me their love. These are people with such giving souls that they would support me to produce even better episodes for your lovely ears. First up, my legendary Maya, my old night tea titan, the person that single-handedly covers subscription costs and website costs. Goodness, they're awesome. Thank you for supporting me at your amazing level so that I can bring you the best possible content that I can. I am very lucky to have your support, and I never forget that. Thanks, Maya. My two white tea warlords, Ion Cows and Lee Bauer, mates. Thanks to you, I've finally been able to buy a mini tripod that I've used for this episode. Oh yeah, and that means my mic no longer floats one meter above my head, but is closer to me and stable. I'm always juggling with positioning and finding that sweet spot. You've helped immensely in acquiring that sweet spot. Thank you both. And my old grain forces, you little superstars, I have... Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker One, Chris Moller, and Solstra. Thank you all for your support. Every single one of you is special to me, and this show's quality wouldn't be the way it is without your support. Mates, have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, and as always, Till next, we meet.